Upon the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Well, hi and welcome. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and today we have an amazing uh, agenda here of topics we're going to cover, and just want to give everyone a, a heads up that um, if you would like a full-length class either on uh, American history or American government and elections, uh, we have both those classes at MediaAngels.com. Just click on the online class link and you will find more information there. And with me on the line is the person who taught those classes as well as uh, the person who is going to be sharing all of uh, this great information with us today, and that is uh, Professor Wilson. So welcome, Woody. Thank you, Felice, and hello, everyone. Uh, glad to be with you, as always. Yeah, Shall we so begin? Glad to, yeah, so glad to have you, Woody. And I uh, just want to let people know that they can also listen via iTunes. I just got an email the other day about that. And, uh, yes, you can find us on iTunes. Uh, there's two ways you can easily find us. One is we have our own show page on iTunes. So if you go to Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network and just search for that on iTunes, the whole network will come up, and then you can find uh, the show button for this uh, particular show, or you can look up current issues in the Constitution. So either way. Well, Woody, we're going to start with the election summary. Uh, We are in November as we're recording this. Uh, For people who are listening uh, later on, we still have lots of great information, so um, we hope that uh, you'll be here for that. So, you know, let's talk about, you know, the elections, and um, you're going to summarize that for us. Yes, uh, I I think let's start with the the broad question spiritual conceptual thing this election means that obama care obama obamaism uh, the obama approach to governance the liberal approach to governments governance reflected in his policies have failed and they have failed miserably it is clear that the age of Obama and the liberal drive and so on is over with for now. They won't give up. They'll try to come back. But for now, they've been stopped. You know, I remember during the campaign in 2008 election, his first election, they had this. They staged this big rally in uh, one of the football fields, uh, football stadiums in North Carolina, seated 100 with all kinds of lights and music. I mean, just Democrats are really good at uh, it's the Hollywood effect, um, I call it, uh, in Hollywoodizing a candidate. And he's making this speech, and he's got his teleprompters, of course, and he's reading it off, and he does a good job uh, with that. But at the end of it, he departed. Uh, I guess he got all excited, and he departed. from. <laughs> he was finished with the teleprompter, and he just <laughs> – Excuse me. He just looked out at the crowd, and he said, you know, um, the United States of America is the greatest nation in the history of the world. I hope you will help me change it. And then he stopped. And nobody thought it was any big deal. I tell people about mm-hmm. that, and they just looked at me quizzically like, you know, what's that? But the greatest country in the history of the world, why would you want to change it? I hope you uh-huh. will help me change it. So his plan, their plan and there are a whole lot of people involved in this, not just the president. A whole lot of people from uh, that side of the aisle have been involved in trying to 
establish big government and government control and redistribute the wealth and fundamentally change America, as Obama put it, and all those kinds of things. And with this election, they have failed. If you uh, followed or, or took a look at uh, reporting on, on Obama's response the next day, um, he doesn't seem to understand that. He really doesn't. He still thinks he's the big king of America and whatever he says goes and still going to use executive orders and all of those kinds of things. So he apparently just doesn't quite get it. Or maybe he does get it, and he and his friends um, have decided and talked and agreed that they have two years left to fundamentally change America through executive orders. With the Republican Congress, that's going to be very interesting. But um, looking at some of the exit polls, you know, exit polls are very valuable. Um, you, you go to the uh, polls in many, many different parts of the country, red states, blue states, and purple states, and all of that, and you interview people as they come out. And if they're willing to do it, uh, you get some very valuable information as to how they voted and why they voted that way. So nearly, what, now six years uh, later, um, after Obama's trillion-dollar stimulus package, which didn't work, 22% of those who voted rate the economy as poor, and 48% say not so good. That's 60% of the American people, and the economy is always the number one big driver, and it is in bad shape. And only 28% said it was good, and 1%. Uh, believe that it's excellent. <laughs> I don't think I would want to meet that one wow. percent. Who are wow. those people? I you can't know, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, voters, and not only do voters think that things are bad today, they're, and this is the sad part to me, it's sort of a heartbreaker. Uh, nearly two-thirds of the people that responded to the exit polls, about 65%, believe the country is on the wrong track and here's the sad part. Three quarters, that is one super majority you rarely see. Three, 75% of workers say that life for their children will be the same or worse than it is today. 75% mm -hmm. deep pessimism in this great, shining, positive, we can do it democracy that we've always had in six years the failed fundamentally change America policies have left so many Americans, 75%, with that pessimistic view. I remember when I was a kid, well, people talked about it all the time. We want our children to have it better than we have it. We want to create a world that's better for our children. And Americans aren't saying that now. They can't say that. And that's part of the reason they voted the way they voted. This is the Republican opportunity to come through. Now, I'd like to remind you, from 2000 to 2006, we had a Republican president, George W. Bush, and a Republican Congress. And they did what Democrats did. They grew the government every year from, by 4 to 8%. They solved no problems, no new energy. They just basically went the status quo route. Republicans failed, and they lost uh, the Congress in 2006, and then they lost the White House in 2008. So this is the Republican chance to succeed. They didn't succeed last time they had the chance. Will they this time? And it's going to be kind of dicey because you're playing against a president who does have veto power. But getting back to the summary, so uh, Obama gets the blame a lot. His policies get the blame. And remember, there are a lot of people in um, the House of Representatives and the Senate that voted with him on these kinds of things. And we find that 32% in the, in the exit polls say that um, they are very dissatisfied. 27%, and that's, this is really high, say that they, they are just downright angry. And they're not, these people are not looking to Washington, D.C. for help. Only about 3% of these people said, these exit pollers, police, said that they actually trust the government, always. 17% said most of the time, 60% trust the government only sometimes, and 18% never, 
And that's a very sad state of affairs in America when 78%, an even bigger supermajority, do not trust the government. And I, you know, I think um, Republicans and Democrats both, and uh, since World War II at least, have forgotten what government's primary purpose is. According to the people that founded this government and wrote the Constitution, government's primary responsibility would be to protect the rights of the people. Second responsibility, to protect the people from harm, national security. Our government seemed to have forgotten that. There's all this control now, all this government policy, all these bureaucracies hammering you if you don't do what they think you should do or behave the way you they think you should behave. So 78% no longer trust the government. We've got to put trust back in the government. Government does do very important things, building the infrastructure, protecting the country from harm, investing in science and naturalization uh, uh, policies and interstate commerce. They, they, have, they have a very large job without all the extras that have been thrown, at, thrown in, extras that are unconstitutional, for the most part, under the Tenth Amendment. Those, their federal government is operating in areas that were reserved to the states. We've got to go back to the point where somehow, and it will take years to get there, that the federal government plays a constitutional role. And then at that point, I think that trust would be, could be rebuilt, the trust of the people in the people that they elect. So so all of these kinds of, of thoughts and concepts and ideas have been generated by this very hopeful election. Now looking at uh, some of the um, specific things, according to exit polls, once again, uh, in 10 of those 11 key states where Republicans won 10, um, all of most of well, they won all except one seat that was held by Democrats. I mean, they not only won open seats, but they defeated incumbent Democrats uh, to get to where they ended up. And Obama's job approval rating in the exit polls ranged from 23% in, guess where, West Virginia, to 43% in New Hampshire, a rather liberal, somewhat liberal state, with an average of 37%, which is dismal a dismal approval rating. And Republicans won, on an average, 72% of the anti-Obama vote. In most states, it was over 80%. So that, that is huge. I mean, those numbers are just gigantic. And, of course, now we see that uh, Dan Sullivan uh, won the very close rate up, up, up in Alaska. Louisiana will hold a runoff on December 6th. They have a peculiar system, Georgia has it too, where they, you know, most states have two elections, a primary and a general. Well, Louisiana and Georgia, and I think those are the only two states, have what's called an open primary, where, and that's the only election, and if nobody gets 50%, you have a runoff. Well, the Republican won uh, by 53% in Georgia, so no problem there, but in um, Louisiana, the Republican one uh, won the election, he won the plurality, but it was only like 48.5%. He didn't get the 50%, so we'll have a runoff election on December the 6th. And he is leading Mary Landrew in the polls by 16%, uh, 14% to 16%. And it's almost certainly a um, Republican seat. So huge turnaround. It was 55 to, well, actually 53 Democrats, 54 Republicans in the 113th Congress, and now it's going to be, looks like, um, if Cassidy wins uh, in uh, Louisiana, it looks like it's going to be 54 Republicans, 44 Democrats, and two Independents. So that is a huge turnaround, and that is, that's, an, that's an historic turnaround. And all of this that we're talking about is essentially uh, what happens in a wave election. As for the House of Representatives, ballots are still being counted. But it is expected that Republicans will hold the highest number of seats in the House since the 1920s. 
a huge turnaround. Races for governor, same thing we see there. Uh, some very surprising elections. Republicans picked up Illinois and Maryland. And surprising hold-ons in Florida, Kansas, and Maine. Gives the Republicans an edge. There are now 31 Republican governors, 17 Democrats, and one independent. One is undecided, and I'm not sure which one that is that's being recounted. So uh, state legislatures, the same thing. Uh, representatives um, in the state legislatures. It, it, the state legislature is bicameral, very much like the federal system. <clears throat> in West mm -hmm. Virginia, we have a Senate and a House of Delegates. Well, so you you know, so you two times fifty is a hundred. Uh, basically, right. lawmaking houses and um, Democrats hold thirty and Republicans hold sixty-eight huge pickup and um, so, so it wasn't just the Senate and wasn't just the House it was the governors it was the legislatures and sometimes in a lot of different ways who holds the position of governor and attorney general and who holds a majority in the state legislature sometimes in many areas makes a bigger difference than who holds the White House in the United States Congress. So you got a Republican sweep across the board. If they can keep that and elect a Republican in 2016, things are going to change dramatically. So, um, uh, see, we got, okay, just very briefly, uh, 44 Democrats, and we're going to have 54 Republicans uh, if Cassidy wins in Louisiana, most likely two independents. In House of Representatives, we've got 186 Democrats, 244 Republicans, huge majority. <coughs> what is that? Um, see, 44-54-58 seat majority. You know, and as as one analyst put it, it would be totally impossible for Democrats to re-win, re even if they got a wave, to retake the House until 2019. So Republicans are secure there. And again, uh, 31 Republican uh, governors to 17 Democrats, 68 uh, lawmaking bodies in the states to 30 uh, for the Democrats. So, like I said, Republicans have an opportunity uh, to make a difference, and we'll see how they play it out, see how the American people react. Is this the beginning of America's fourth reform era? It may very well be. But we'll have to wait patiently and keep our eyes on current events to see how things are working. It's going to be very interesting. And very that pretty good. much summarizes it. Felice, if you have anything to add? No, I don't. Um, you know, just watched the results as they were coming through um, on election night. And, you know, I think we were all really surprised because I think most of us have been saying, you know, we can't believe that, you know, people would continue to vote the way they're voting, you know, given uh, the status quo. I mean, we none of us really thought that Obama would be reelected, and he was. So I don't think we expected this title, um, you know, this this election to, to play out the way it did. So I think a lot of us were surprised. So I'm very happy with the results, you know, obviously, for many reasons. Um, and yet I'm in the majority of the people that, you know, don't trust government and wonder if this new Congress is really going to make some changes. And that's been, you know, the talking heads have been saying that, you know, that we can't just go on. We don't like Obama's policies. We really have to start listening to what the people want. And, right. uh, you know, there's been a lot of of talking about that. So, so we've got uh, a new Congress coming in. Um, and, and when do they get sworn in, Woody? Okay, good question, Felice. Uh, the, um, the current Congress that we've had for the last two years is the 113th Congress, based on every two years, so 226 years ago uh, was the first Congress. So the, um, they are still in power. They still control the House and the Senate, and will do so up until January the 3rd, when the new Congress, 114th, um, takes its seats uh, and begins to operate. Now, January the 3rd is the date established by the Constitution. We'll look at that in a minute. 
um, but they frequently postpone it if it comes on a Saturday or Sunday. And since January 3rd is the uh, Sunday, I'm sure they will vote somewhere in December to postpone it to January the 4th, uh, which is the first Monday in mm-hmm. January 2015. So right now, President Obama has the same Congress, a Democratic Senate and a Republican House that he has had for the last two years. Now, if you would turn very quickly to Article 1, Section 4, we will take a look at that. Is everybody there? Raise your hand if you have found it. <laughs> and I'll well, just jump I in. think all the hand, most of the hands yeah. are up. <laughs> okay, yeah. um, Article 1, Section 4, um, ignore the first part, uh, the last sentence. The Congress shall assemble. Now, this is Article 1, powers given the legislative branch. The Congress shall assemble at least once in every year, and such meetings shall be on the first Monday in December, unless they shall by law appoint a different day. That was a really bad time. Those people had to travel by horse or horse and buggy. They traveled for weeks to get from their states, especially if you're coming up from South Carolina and Georgia all the way up to Philadelphia uh, in the beginning. That was tough. It took John Adams um, two weeks riding a horse from Massachusetts down to Philadelphia during the Second Continental Congress. So <coughs> you got the first money in December. So what do you do if you don't finish your business? Well, they usually did. It took them, you know, such a small government and small country and not a whole lot to do, not a very – no laws on the books yet, really. So they would finish their business and go home for Christmas. And then as the country grew and things became more complex and Congress began to pass laws and they began to carry out the um, powers given to them by Article 1, Section 8, pretty soon um, they were had to reassemble in January and February. So, you know, this just continues to get worse and worse and worse. They they would call the meeting in, in December, first Monday, and then not do anything until January. So finally in 1933, well, turn to the 20th Amendment, if you would, please. The 20th Amendment. Okay, Section 2. Oh, by the way, might as, look, might as well look at Section 1. The terms of the President and the Vice President shall end at noon on the 20th day of January. And the terms of senators and representatives at noon on the 3rd day of January. So all those Democrats that were defeated, they have gotten until the 3rd of January. Of the years in which such terms would have ended if this article had not been ratified, and the terms of their successors shall then begin. Now going back to the first part, terms of the president and the vice president, um, Mr. Obama and Mr. Obama will leave office on the 20th day of January 2017. And that will be inauguration day for the new president and vice president. Now, Section 2, this is what changes Article 1, Section 4. The Congress shall assemble at least once in every year, same language as Article 1, Section 4, and such meetings shall begin at noon on the third day of January, unless, this gives them the power, unless they shall by law appoint a different day. So they can, the Constitution allows them to change that first day of assembly of the new Congress. Okay? Now let's get into some of the issues facing Congress. Remember that Oval Office conference that uh, was going to happen that we talked about, um, the election was on Tuesday and Friday. Um, Obama was going to sit down and have a luncheon uh, with the leaders, both Democrat and Republican, and uh, they did have that meeting. And it wasn't long before a dispute emerged on immigration. The president said in a very calm and uh, courteous manner that um, he was tired of waiting for Congress to do anything, which is very funny, he never asked Congress to do anything. He had a, a Democratic Congress for two years, in 2008 to 2010. He did nothing. They did nothing on immigration. House of Representatives passed three or four bills on immigration. They all died in the Senate. 
and the president was aware of that. He didn't ask Harry Reid to, to uh, get a vote on him and send him up. So it's kind of interesting that he says he's running out of patience. Kind of reminds me of old King George lecturing Parliament uh, back during the American Revolution. <laughs> we don't we don't have that kind of system. We don't have a king. We do have an elected president. So they got into the dispute there, and at one point, and there's an aide, um, <laughs> one of the senatorial aides who was there, and talked to the media without giving his name. And he said that at one point, uh, House Speaker John Boehner was making an argument on immigration, and uh, Obama responded to him that his patient was patience was running out. And while Obama was speaking, Vice President, his Vice President Joe Biden interrupted him to ask Boehner how long Republicans needed. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? And, I mean, no, wow. Biden did this, and and the aide says Obama angrily cut him off and continued wow. to speak to Boehner about his plan. So we got one guy in the White House that's willing to work with Congress, the vice president. I'd like, I would like to be a fly on the wall. I would like to have been a fly on the wall to hear the conversation between Obama and Boehner, uh, excuse me, Biden, after everybody left. I bet that was a shouting match. I don't think wow. that Joe Biden would back off from uh, Barack Obama, and I'm sure that they had a, a good one. But nonetheless, um, Obama's been making clear for quite some time, as he did in this meeting, that um, he is going to use his so-called executive powers, although you can look through Article 2 all you want to, and you won't find one word giving the president the power to make law, and you won't find immigration or naturalization anywhere in Article 2. He simply does not have that authority. And amongst judicial circles that I've been reading, if he does grant amnesty to any part of people that came to this country illegally, it will be struck down by the Supreme Court. It will never make it. And as soon as he does, there are some states like Arizona and Texas that will, their attorneys general will immediately file suit. So, you know, Republicans uh, in the House, in the new House and the Senate, can pass comprehensive um, immigration le legislation. He will veto it. Okay, they passed it. He vetoed it. He's now the obstructionist. He is the one that's preventing <coughs> law that will help us deal with this horrible and growing immigration problem. Uh, so ignoring Congress uh, while he goes ahead and carries himself out as, as if he were a king, and that's going to hurt him, that's going to hurt the Democratic Party. And the Republicans in 2016 can campaign against a type of governance that puts the power in the hands of one president, one king, and that is going to be a very powerful argument. Now watch closely as this amnesty thing develops, it's um, it is a complex plan. It's kind of um, it's kind of a difficult thing, and one of the problems is that um, over the last couple of decades, a very large number of, of uh, men and women, uh, husband and wife, and even single um, mothers pregnant, have come across the border, and their child was born in America and is automatically a citizen of the United States. If you would uh, turn to Article 14, please. Uh, excuse me, Amendment 14. And this is um, one of the things in the Constitution that probably in the modern era ought to be modified through another amendment. It begins, and here's the problem. All poor persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States. So you have all those illegal mothers coming across the border, giving birth. Their children are automatically American citizens. Now today, if you count all the moms and dads and the children, you've got about 5 million people. Their children are immigrants. The parents are not. What are you going to do? 
What are you going to do? Send the parents back and keep the children here because they're citizens? Would you do that? Would you split up families? You know, the American mm-hmm. people are a, a, a humane and Christian people. We, our hearts go out to people. And you, you have met um, uh, people that have come here from Mexico and other parts of the world. They're wonderful people. They're, most of them, they're hardworking. They love their children. They want their children to do well. They get up and go to work. They pay their taxes, even if they do not have citizenship. So nonetheless, they came across the borders illegally. They broke the law. So this is a real conundrum for me. Um, and And I think you need to put together both points of view in a deep and intense discussion, although we've already had it, in the United States Congress, working with the president to come up with a piece of legislation that addresses all these concerns. And in the meantime, maybe the first article of the new bill has got to say, we're going to spend several billion dollars closing that border with manpower, with new fencing, with new technology, motion detecting, uh, drones, whatever it takes. We are going to shut the border. That's got to be in there. I suppose we could live with 5 million new citizens. Well, I know we can. Uh, Geographers and demographers tell us that the resources of the United States, the farmland, the water, and all that, uh, that the United States could support 5 billion people. And we've only got three hundred and twenty million. Yeah. So I think that's been a propaganda thing with you know saying that we can't support people, but it is it is a a really difficult um, you know the immigration situation. Woody is a very difficult thing. It I is. I think it what is. Pe- people are opposed to is the way Obama is going about doing it. You know that yeah, you're probably right. You're probably that probably is the main objection. Yeah. We didn't elect him yeah. to lay down an immigration policy. It's what we elected Congress for. Right. And, you know, and the other thing is, um, you know, haven't people have read article after article about the borders and how um, there are places that are just not um, equipped to handle the people coming over? And that's true. an issue. That's true. You know, so if if he you know is serious about this, he needs to shore up the borders and then you know go from there because it's it, it's really like you said you know we're so empathetic and we want to help and you know you're dealing with ruthless countries that can take care of their people you know if they if they wanted to they just don't want to and you can see why right. people would want to leave. But we're in a tough situation here with hiring people. If they don't have all their paperwork, we can't hire them. So a lot of them have false documentation, and it's hard to know. Um, We have uh, this um, form. It's called an I-9. And now it doesn't matter where where you were born. You have to fill that out if you're a new employee. And that's to, you know, you have to show that you're a citizen or have the rights to be in this country with a green card or some other, you know, form of of citizenship to be able to work because there's a work visa you can get. I don't even think a green card works. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at that Hmm. form in a while. We haven't hired people in a while. I haven't seen any discussion on, on that in the media for a long time either. Yeah. Well, because I think a lot of people are just hiring. They have um, a system that they use, which we won't go into um, because it is illegal, but there is a way that they circumvent it. And it's very irritating to those of us that, um, you know, do it by the book because what happens is we can't compete on that level if they're hiring um, people that they're paying cash to and not having to pay workers' comp and liability and so forth then they can bid less than we can on jobs. You know, and this is in the construction industry that I'm talking about. As you know, as you, you're my brother-in-law, but, um, you know, so it's it's difficult on one hand, you know, whenever we've had, you know, any, um, 
you know, Mexican or, um, you know, people from other countries as workers. They typically work harder and they're happy to come to work and they're happy they have a job. And I would say 70% of them are sending money home if they haven't already moved here full time. You know, they're planning to go back. Um, but for the most part, um, it's difficult to, you know, get someone who has all their paperwork in order, you know, so yeah. so that's difficult. So moving on, Woody. Um, okay, I'd just like to say one yeah. more thing on that. Sure. Issue. I saw a, doc- a documentary very recently, and I'll send it to you, um, that uh, – it's a heartbreaker. You know, thousands and thousands of people coming across those borders have died in the attempt. There's one place mm-hmm. down in Texas, Cook County, Texas, uh, where people come up heading for Houston, and they find themselves, you know, the, the coyotes that get them across the border, they bring in the border, and that's it. And they point north, and these folks start walking north, and they end up in this very d- dry and desolate area and um, they run out of water, they dehydrate, they run out of food, and they lie down and die by the thousands. Wow. Uh, they're finding graves all over the place. So closing that border would be an act of humanity, would it not? Yes. I mean, you're That's saving the lives, not just the women and ch- uh, uh, men and women, but you're saving the lives of children that are dying right. crossing that border. So I don't know. Maybe uh, we open the door a little bit wider to immigration from Mexico, um, uh, uh, South America, selected uh, points uh, where life is very, very difficult. And I'll tell you what, Felice, I have said a million times, if I was a father and I had a a wife and three kids and they were – we had no future, it was bleak, it was starvation, and I could get across the border into America, I would do it. I would break the America's law for my family, for my children. I understand how they feel. And so right. we, we've got to look at it from the compassionate, humanitarian sense as, as well as from the purely legalistic sense. And, right. and I think that, that, if, that if these folks in the House and the Senate working with the White House, could all sit to get down together with a genuine desire to solve this problem in such a way as the least number of people get hurt. I think they could do it to the satisfaction of the American people, the American voter. But we'll have to wait and see. While we're on the topic, turn in your Constitution real quick to Article 1, Section 8. Now, this is where the powers of Congress are enumerated. Now, supposedly, these are the only powers they have, and uh, it would be well worth your uh, time uh, later on today or tomorrow to review those 17 powers, everything else to be reserved to the states or to the people. Look at the fourth clause, clause four. It doesn't say much to establish an uniform rule of naturalization. It doesn't say immigration, but it implies immigration. When people come here that are not citizens, they can go through the naturalization plan, they can study history, study government, study and learn the language, take a test, pass it, put their hand up, one hand up, the other one on the Bible, and swear allegiance to the United States of America and become citizens. And this power is given to Congress. It is not given to the President. Uniform rule or law of naturalization. All right, moving along. Uh, one of the things that um, President Obama may try to do is appoint uh, some liberal judges. He has been appointing several very liberal judges um, because the Senate approves them. Now, the Senate has a, a thing called cloture, C-L-O-T-U-R-E. The House does not have it. And this was passed back in the 1840s. In the 1840s, the northern states, the anti-slave states, had achieved a majority in the Senate. In the southern states, with <coughs> a minority, could not block any legislation. So, John C. Calhoun, another very powerful uh, southern congressman, made it very clear that, okay, here's what we're going to do. We want unlimited 
filibuster. That means if we don't like a law, if there's a law that's passed or a law that's put on the floor for debate that is going to hurt our economy and our, our economic system, we want the ability to debate that without end. And if you don't give it to us, we're out of here. You can have your country all by yourself, and we'll have ours. So in the interests of of uh, compromise, Henry Clay came up with the idea of cloture. Is okay, 60 votes. So essentially, in the House of Representatives, it takes a majority vote, 51%, to pass legislation. In the Senate, it takes 60%, because if the Democrats are in a minority and they don't like a bill that Republicans have put forth, they can just get up and start debating and debate forever. There's no end to debate. In the House, they have limits on debate, like five days or something like that. In the Senate, guy can uh, different uh, Democrats could get up and, and talk all day and, and all night if they wanted to, and just endlessly. So the practice has to become, once a bill passes, if it doesn't get 60 votes, it's dead. There's no point in playing the game. Now, this is called cloture. Okay, so it's been there since 1844, 1845 in that area. Last year, the Democrats controlling the Senate voted by a simple majority vote to end cloture for judicial appointments, appointments to the courts. And they did, which is a pretty dirty trick, a pretty rotten trick. And uh, you can expect Republicans to consider doing it uh, on their own. So, you know, Obama would pick a, out a guy, just really far left, juicy, liberal. I mean, you know, and appoint him, uh, nominate him. Senate automatically ratifies by fifty-one percent vote, and uh, the person is on the in the judicial circuit. So, will there are still some openings? Will uh, I think fifteen openings? Will uh, President Obama next week or sometime in December just throw a slate of judges at the Senate and say, here, Harry, approve these guys quick, and Harry Reid and his 51 Democrats do it, or 53? Uh, will he do that? Uh, that's a very interesting question. And what are Republicans going to do about cloture uh, once they have the Congress? Are they going to go back to the 60-seat rule uh, for judicial as well as any other kind of legislation? Um, or, they, or are they going, because they're only going to have 54 seats, are they going to suspend cloture, period, for anything, which means that they can pass anything that they want to pass, and Democrats can't stop them. Now, you know, if, if the House, is, House has already passed a let's build the Keystone Pipeline uh, legislation, the House has already passed it. In fact, they, they think they've passed it more than once. And the Senate has never voted on it because of Harry Reid, most dysfunctional Senate in the history of the United States, I've got to say. But um, if in January the Senate uh, tries to approve the House's Keystone bill, well, Democrats could just filibuster and, and keep them from getting that 60-vote mar margin. We just saw that it only got 59 votes. Or will Republicans say, okay, we'll play your game, Harry Reid. Cloture is over with. This is not 1844, and we don't have slavery, and we don't have a civil war looming. We don't need cloture. And I, I would agree with that. I don't think it's right at all that people put a majority of one party in the House and the Senate, and they want something. Cloture stops them. The people do not get what they voted for. Let's just... I'd like to see them just in cloture forever, no more. So we'll see what happens with that. Keep an eye on it. There's also, um, you know, Eric Holder, the attorney general, a very important position, um, re resigned several weeks ago and re agreed to stay in office until he was a replacement had come forth. Well, uh, President Obama has apparently chosen the successor, uh, she is an American of African descent, and she is female. Of course, I'm saying she, so you know that. Her name is Loretta Lynch. Currently, the United States Attorney, attorney for the she argues uh, for the government in Eastern District of New York, and uh, <clears throat> she has already been confirmed twice by the Senate. Unanimously, one of those times, I believe, 
Uh, Republicans and Democrats both liked her. She's 55 years old. And uh, once she served as chief federal prosecutor in Brooklyn under President Clinton and then again um, in the uh, Eastern District of New York. So, you know, now, uh, media is trying to make that into some kind of an issue. And uh, I don't think they can because uh, this lady, she is not liberal. She's not conservative. Nobody knows what she is. She is a person of the law. What the law says is her position. So look for a new attorney general in a 55-year-old lady by the name of Loretta Lynch. Should be interesting. Keystone Pipeline. Felice, what do you think? Should we build it or not? Yes, I'm all for it. But before we jump into that discussion, I want to take a really quick break, and then we'll be right back. All righty. The American government and elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class recorded with a live audience taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson. This class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, this AP level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. Or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. All right. Well, welcome back. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and this is an issue. Of, <laughs> this is an issue. This is an episode of Current Issues in the Constitution, and I'm here with uh, Professor Woody Wilson. And Woody, uh, before we take the break, we have covered a ton of information, including some of the um, articles of the Constitution and amendments. And for those of you listening who maybe couldn't uh, take all the notes, um, all of this information um, is under the show notes. So if you go to currentissuesintheconstitution.com, scroll down the page and look for uh, the words um, new Congress, old Congress. Um, actually, it says old Congress, new Congress. I'm doing really well today, Woody. <laughs> and, <laughs> You're doing better than and, I am. Yeah, well, it has the word Congress on it, okay? Uh, and anyway, click on that, and then under that uh, that tab or, or that post, you will see uh, all the show notes from today's session. And so, um, you know, Woody also wants you to read an article uh, by Jonathan Gruber on um, Obama's deception, and there's a link uh, to that article in the show notes. But we're talking about the Keystone Pipeline now, and I'm all for it. You know, I live in southwest Florida, and we have um, offshore um, oil and gas drilling in the Gulf of Mexico. And, you know, there was this big thing with the whole – Exxon and thing, and there was a BP thing, and um, you know there there was issues with that. And my question is, uh, who owns BP, and who is getting that money? And they're drilling off of the coast, you know, of of uh, the United States. And so, why are we not getting involved with the manufacturing, you know, ourselves, or at least you know, harvesting it, or whatever you want to call it? Um, and making some of that money and stop relying on the foreign oil. You know, we have so much here, yeah. Woody. Yeah. And I know that, you know, I do want to preserve the environment. I I don't want to, I, I don't think we'll ever go back to taking advantage of the environment, you know, with loggers and things like that. Any, you know, th- there's no way that would happen again because they're so entrenched in in politics and in lobbying and so forth. But I also know that that can be done. I mean, there's you you could say the same thing with building. Every time you build a house, you are ruining some sort of ecosystem 
whether it's watershed or, you know, displacing an eagle or, you know, and there are places here locally that are protected. If there is a particular eagle's nest or there are burrowing owls in Cape Coral, which um, is about 30 minutes away from where I live, and there are a ton of burrowing owls that will move, you know, but you can't build. So or you can only build at a certain time of the year, and if the house is not done, I'm sorry, you just have to wait till after nesting season and then continue on. You know, and it just seems like there are so many preserves locally, um, and there are so many areas where where we could cohabitate without having this. So, you know, BP is British um, Petroleum, isn't it? Isn't that what it's yes. used for? It's actually yeah. a uh, the, these big uh, oil giants are actually global companies. Uh, okay. You can't call them British or American or whatever anymore. They um, they are very they are global, but okay. um, BP has its roots um, uh, many many years ago in in Great Britain and and uh, the oil in the North Sea. They have a lot of offshore drilling there, but um, you, you know it's estimated that. If we do build this pipeline, please keep in mind that there are about 10,000 miles of pipelines in America and have been there for decades carrying oil from refineries to various parts of the country. And there has never been an act of terror against them and they have, there's never been a catastrophic spill, environmental disaster of any type at all. This is just another pipeline. It's like building another highway. But the thing is, you have got a very concerted effort by liberals of the environmental stripe through Obama, many other Democrats in the House and the Senate, and through the Environmental Protection Agency, doing their very best to expand their power and their control. As Felice just said, we... uh, we can't develop several millions of acres of land because there's a little worm that lives there that might be endangered, and it might not, because of things like that. It, they have become totally absurd with this rationale. Uh, you know, it, it's just amazing to me. Mm-hmm. So 30,000 jobs to start start with, and I was just reading an article yesterday. Uh, they're going to have to build two or three new refineries. Uh, to refine that uh, petroleum coming down from Alberta province, and that's uh, another 30,000 jobs. And these are well-paying jobs. High, you know, time of bad bad economy. This is what you want. And of course, right. these are this is, these are more people with good salaries paying taxes to build the roads and do the medical research and all those kinds of things. It would mean lower gas gasoline prices at the pumps. And boy, gasoline is just a part of our everyday life. It's a part of our budget. It's up there with the mortgage and the food and and the electricity and all all those other things. So yeah, um, I'll take I'll take a cut in gasoline prices. And of course, like Felice said, and this is huge. And I'm I'm just not sure how we would handle the the um, extraction, but we could reduce our dependence on Middle Eastern oil. Other foreign sources, but but mainly Middle East. We don't have to put ourselves or our soldiers in harm's way over there anymore. Now, how to get out of there and protect women and children and try to keep the peace, that um, that would be a major job for the State Department. Right. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, it's failed for now, and I don't think it's, you're going to see it again until January when the 114th Congress takes its seat. But... It's basically the death knell of Senator Mary Landrieu. Um, she's, like I said, she's behind in the polls uh, right now, 14 to 16 percent. And you know the election's coming up in what? Um, you know, about three weeks, a little less than three weeks. Uh, she's got to face the voters. And she said, she said, I came here 18 years ago, fighting to get here, fighting to stay here. Right? Kind of, I don't know what she meant by that. Sure, but she said, "I'm going to fight for the people of my state until the day I leave. That will be January 3rd, 2015. <laughs> I hope that will not be soon. It all depends on what she considers soon. But um, she, I saw her um, on Fox News. Uh, I think it was this morning, and she was saying 
I put forth this bill. I did not speak to uh, Senator Reid. I did not speak to President Obama. I did this. What a lie. She can't put a bill on the floor without his permission, without Harry Reid's permission. I mean, it, so that, that will kill her if nothing else. She just, she just lied like Obama does. Obama lies all the time. I mean, <laughs> I think he grew up lying or his mom taught him how to lie or something. Or uh, It's just amazing uh, what what these guys do and get away with because the liberal media that supports them. And basically 75% of the people, people are they're listening to CBS, NBC, ABC. A lot of people don't have cable. And um, and so they're they're not hearing these things. You know, Obama lies, and most of the American people never hear about it. They don't even know mm-hmm. or understand. So that's a real problem. Now, moving on to Jonathan Gruber, <laughs> I wish I could ask you how many of you have. I know that you folks are following current events pretty well, and I think you probably know who Jonathan Gruber is, the MIT professor. Um, that, but I, I want you to understand, here's um, in the first part of this article that you will read, is that um, he never worked, referring to Gruber, this is Obama, he never worked on our staff, President Obama said this weekend in Brisbane, Australia. What a bald-faced lie. He was paid $400,000 by the Obama administration. Wow. He met with Obama at least twice that we know of, met with him personally, and was praised by the president. Nancy Pelosi said she had never heard of him. She had quoted him and cited him by name several times in the days leading up to the passage of the uh, Affordable Care Act. Now she's denying this. It's like like the apostles denying Christ. Wow. (laughs) They but did they, know him. They, they do think we're stupid then, Woody. You they know, they really, do think that, really that do. people are not going to research and people are not going to pay attention to the different articles. And, and we do have a link to that specific article on our our show page notes. But, right. you know, seriously, why would why would they bother to lie to us? Do they think that it's not going to be uncovered? or Or have they gotten away with so much that, it's worth the gamble for them. Well, I guess if you look at it from their perspective, it's very simple. They think they can get away with it. Okay. They've got the media. Uh, they've got uh, the American people. And the American people are not stupid. Um, in fact, um, I think probably police and myself and everybody out there listening were just as intelligent as Barack Obama or Jonathan <laughs> Gruber. They're not smarter than we are. They're just into uh, uh, deception and persuasion and manipulation, and you and I aren't into that. We're into truth and honor and goodness, and um, we don't want to be professional politicians. That's the last thing I would want to be. Uh, I think I'd rather be in the mob than be a professional politician. <laughs> All right. But, we know you but, don't really But anyway, that, but. anyway I, I think that's it. You know, and, again, they have the media on their side. They have the hype. They have the billionaires that support them and uh, give them money for hyping and promoting and, and all of these kinds of things. And the American people really, truly are, as a whole, a large majority, uninformed. They are not interested. They have their games. They have their television. They have their text devices, and and they are simply not paying attention. And if if you watch um, Bill O'Reilly on Fox News every now and then, we have this uh, I can't remember the guy's name. It goes out to interview people. Right. Yeah, and I saw it, that clip. I can't remember his name either. Yeah, and, they, and yeah. you know, just it goes at different places in America and just interviews people on the street. And boy, I tell you. They just don't know anything. They don't know anything. He asked, I remember once, uh, several months ago, he was, uh, you know, he said, well, uh, he was saying to them, now, what do you think of this new candidate for president, this Karl Marx? And people were saying, oh, yeah, he's pretty cool. He's all right. Of course, he was a communist manifesto guy that died back in the 19th century. And some of them said they were actually said they were going to vote for him. 
And they <laughs> they'd never heard of the guy. I mean, just totally uninformed. Okay. I looked it up, Woody. It's uh, it's called Waters World. W Waters, right? E R S two T. Waters World. American. Jesse Waters, I think. Yeah. It said um, he was on the streets of Philly. That's the one that came up. And it said uh, Americans on the streets of Philly don't know the answer to the U.S. citizenship test. Right. So, you know. And they're citizens of the United States, and they couldn't pass the test. Yeah. But um, anyway, this this article, as Felice said, you will find it on the site. Um, And I put it on there to read it to you, but we're out of time. So please make sure that you read that and understand it. As one journalist said yesterday, this could be the death knell of the Affordable Care Act. This could be the impetus to repeal it. Yeah, I know we're out of time, Woody, but I I was going to ask real quickly. um, In the news this morning, it talked about uh, some part of the Obamacare that was up again before the um, Supreme Court that Uh they don't. They don't think, um, I, and I didn't hear anything about that. I haven't had a chance to look that up. Are you familiar with what's going before the Supreme Court in regard to Well, ba- basically, basically, states were asked to set up um, these insurance exchanges where government-approved insurance companies that had all the right uh, qualities would come into the state and try to sell or make themselves available um, basically online to people that were shopping around for an insurance policy that they could afford and covered what they wanted. Well, 36 states refused to set up exchanges, so the federal government came in and set them up. Now, the law says that if it is a state exchange, that people pay no taxes or fees of any kind, but in these 36, people are going to be taxed and charged fees and so the argument is from several attorney generals, attorneys general, that the that the law does not empower, nor does the Constitution empower the federal government to go into states and set up health care insurance exchanges in the first place. So that, if that happens, if the Supreme Court buys that argument, the Affordable Care Act is finished. It will die a slow and tortured death. So we'll have to wait and see. And then what about all the people that are covered? Because here in Florida, you know, we now have an alternative insurance plan that is not, um, it is health insurance, but it's not health insurance the way it's packaged. Okay, so I don't have time to go into that. But here in Florida, we have Aetna, and normally I don't like to say brand names, but we do. And we've been happy with the coverage for our family. It has, you know, covered all kinds of things. Uh, we don't go to the doctor that often, but, you know, the deductible is affordable for us. And when I spoke to them on the phone um, this month, they our plan did get extended through December of 2014. Um, mm. However, she said, well, because we didn't have any claims, Woody, so they might as well just, you know, continue to oh. take our money. But um, she said that in Florida, and I don't know if this lady knew what she was talking about, but she said, you know, Aetna no longer can write individual policies. It has to be under the Health Care um, Act. You know, I, I have a really hard time calling it affordable. And um, she said all policies in Florida that comply with the health care have to be under that. So if like the the insurance we have now is not approved by Obamacare, so therefore we're supposed to receive a tax for supposedly not having insurance, although we are we are covered. And according to the person who sold us that policy, they said right now the only way they can um, take that money is if we get um, a IRS refund. So it's this big mess. It, yes, it's it just, it's a big mess, and you, well, know, you know we're. we're I do think we're the just, size and size and scope of the whole thing. This, I, I think that killed it from the beginning. Yeah. Too big, too much, too complex. You can't. You well, can, maybe you can do that in a little country like Germany or Great Britain, but you can't do that in a country our size. Yeah. How do you manage and, it? 
they tried, you know, by dumping all this extra verbiage in there so nobody could read it. And I think Nancy Pelosi will go down in history (laughs) with her infamous words, let's pass it and then we can read it and see what it says. I've never heard of such an oxymoronic thing in my life. Hey, Felice, I can't believe we elect people like her to Congress. How do we do that? And I guess that's why I'm still sitting here thanking God every single day that the elections went well, what I would consider well, um, because we've had such a debacle. When you said that Obama was going to still be in in office till 2017, my heart just fell. (laughs) Like we have that many more years with him, I know. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. I tell you, I think the thing is I can draw a conclusion here that there are an awful lot of people in Washington, D.C., in government, that are really, really stupid. Yeah, well, one of our listeners posted Like, you know, the Seinfeld show, I'll tell you who's stupid. They're stupid. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Quickly, Woody, one of our listeners posted, I've heard a sermon on, on America. It's like the frog being boiled if you put it in a can of cold water and slowly heat it. You know, I think we've all heard that analogy. It says we've grown cold and fallen asleep, which is yep. really true. And, that's a you good, know, that's, very good analogy. I it agree is. with that 100%. And, you know, and that's the thing that, um, you know, I, I want to keep, saying to people is please do share our recordings here. Our show does cover these things that I think a lot of people won't cover and won't touch. So I'm just happy, Woody, that, that uh, to have you on every couple of weeks now. And then if you're listening to this, you know, go to the archives. There's lots of great um, other broadcasts uh, on this network of other shows that we've recorded. So Thanks again, Woody. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.